0: just experienced for those that came up to receive discipleship certificates, for all of those that are in our discipleship ministry both discipling and being discipled we pray Father God you would continue to bless that ministry Lord and that you would bless each one who's involved that they would be mutually encouraged through this process of growing in grace and knowledge Now, Father God, I ask for your blessing on the preaching of your word. Help me to clearly communicate this message that you've laid on my heart for your people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, this morning, uh, if you have a Bible, I'd like you to open it up to Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15 as we continue our study through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Roman Church. I have entitled this series, The Unbreakable Chain of Salvation. This title refers to the main theme of this letter, and of the whole of Scripture. That there is... The gospel, the good news, that God has promised a way of salvation and eternal life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This unbreakable chain of salvation stretches back to the event before the creation of the universe when the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit entered into the divine covenant of redemption. That covenant provides salvation for all of those who are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and regenerated and called into faith by the Spirit. This chain is seen throughout the Bible and it stretches into the future until that day when the last soul chosen by God for salvation is brought into his church. In my last two sermons, we looked at the first seven verses of chapter 1, which is actually one sentence in the Greek, and which is the beginning of Paul's introduction. And in those verses, we saw previews of some of the glorious doctrines that we will find in this powerful letter. Today, we will turn our attention to verses 8 through 15 where Paul reveals to the believers in Rome his actions and his desires in relationship to them. He gives thanks for them. He prays for them. He desires to have fellowship with them. He wants them to be mutually encouraged with him. And he is eager to proclaim the gospel in Rome. And we will see that Paul's actions and desires should be ours as well. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of our text. Romans 1, verses 8 through 15. This is God's word to us. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks, To barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. The first thing we see in our text is that Paul is giving thanks to God for the believers in Rome. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul thanks God for them, for their salvation, for their faith, and for the impact that they are having in all the world, meaning all the Roman Empire. He is thankful for God saving them through the saving faith that they'd been given by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit had caused them to be born again. He had opened their blinded eyes to see their need for a Savior, and that that Savior that they needed was Jesus. God had adopted them into his family, brought them together as his church, and the practice of their faith in the midst of, of the trials and persecutions in Rome had become known throughout the Roman Empire. The testimony of the followers of Christ in Rome made such an impact there that ten years prior to this letter, the emperor, Emperor Claudius, had expelled all the Jews from Rome after hearing that they were promoting and worshipping another Lord named Crestus, Christ. He could not tolerate that because there's no Lord but Caesar in his thinking. Little did he realize that it was the followers of Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, who were actually the ones worshiping Crestus, worshiping Christ. Even faith with persecution for the practice of their faith, the Christians who made up the church in Rome continued to worship Christ, continued to proclaim the gospel and make his name known. So Paul gives thanks for his brothers and sisters in Christ who were, like him, being witnesses for Christ regardless of their circumstances. Paul will later write, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 So Paul here is giving thanks for the brothers and sisters in Rome. The second thing that Paul reveals here is that he prays for them. He intercedes for them in prayer. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. So not only does he give thanks for their faith, their testimony, and their work, he also prays for them, intercedes for them with God. He would be praying for God to bless them and provide for them in their efforts to live to glorify Christ and to build his church. Now, Paul does not state for us the specific contents of his prayers for the Roman Christians. But we can safely assume that they were similar to the prayers that he mentions in his other letters to other churches. All of Paul's recorded prayers focus on spiritual needs, not on material things. So listen to three examples found in his letters to the Ephesians, the Philippians, and the Colossians. First, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 16. He writes this, "'For this reason, because I have heard of your faith "'in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, "'I do not cease to give thanks for you, "'remembering you in my prayers.'" Powerful. Powerful. Paul prays for their spiritual well-being. Similarly, in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we read this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then in his letter to the Colossians. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking Paul's heart for God's children is that they would continue to grow in grace, grow in knowledge, continue to be equipped for the work of the ministry that God has given us to do. The content of these prayers is spiritual. He wants them to increase in their faith, to be rooted and grounded in love, to be growing in knowledge and discernment, and to be living to the praise and glory of God of God. Amen? What a blessing it must have been to the Christians in Rome to know that Paul was praying for them in this way. And what a blessing it is for us today to know that others are lifting us up to God in their prayers. Amen? I covet your prayers. I truly do. And I know that many of you are lifting up myself and your elders and your deacons in your prayers. And we appreciate it, believe me. What a blessing it is to know. And what a blessing it is to lift others up in our prayers. Amen? One thing that Paul does tell them that he is praying for is the opportunity to travel to Rome, to have fellowship with them. One-on-one fellowship. Not through a letter, not through a text, not through Zoom, but one-on-one personal fellowship with other believers. Paul desires fellowship with them. He tells them that he had often intended to come to visit them but thus far had been prevented from doing so. Now we know that he will one day reach Rome but probably not in the way he had been intending. Paul knew that there would be a great benefit for them and for him to be able to spend time together in spiritual fellowship he knew that he had much to offer them and that he also would be encouraged by time spent with them. That's why he writes, quote, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. For all of you involved in discipleship, this becomes so real as we are discipling someone else, we ourselves are being blessed by it. You heard that in the testimonies today of these that are involved in discipleship. Both the discipler and the one being discipled is blessed. And it's true in our spiritual fellowship together. I am greatly blessed to spend time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a blessing. The word in the Greek here for mutual encouragement is a form of the word parakaleo, meaning to come alongside, to comfort, to strengthen, to encourage. Now, Paul believes this is very important because he uses this word six times in five of his letters. Why does he stress the need for this? these believers in Rome had been saved by God's grace, they had put their faith in Christ, they had been baptized into his body, and they were filled with his spirit. Did they really need other Christians to come alongside of them to strengthen and encourage them? Yes. 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 We all need that. No Christian is to attempt to live for Christ in this world alone. We are to be in spiritual fellowship with other believers as often as is possible. This is revealed in all of the one another commands of Scripture. That we're to love one another, encourage one another, build up one another, pray for one another, Brothers and sisters, we can't do that if we're in isolation from others. The Apostle Paul acknowledges his own need here to be mutually encouraged. And if Paul needed that, you and I certainly need that as well. We will suffer spiritually if we are not gathering together with other believers as often as we can. This is stressed over and over again in the New Testament. We are members of one another. Members of the body of Christ. And to really enjoy the benefits of being members of the body of Christ We have to be members of the body of Christ. In other words, it can't just be theoretical. We've got to practice it. The classic passage that teaches us this is Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25. Let me read that to us. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in this simple verse, we have two times that we're commanded to do something with one another. We're to stir up one another to love and good works and we're to encourage one another. And we're also commanded what we shouldn't do. Don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some because it is not good for us to not meet together. We need this amen? We need this. We need to be stirred up to love and good deeds. We need to be spiritually encouraged and we need to be spiritually encouraging others. You see one of the problems that we have as sin has affected us as sinful human beings, one of the problems that we have is a tendency towards self focus. And we need to be turned outward. Did Jesus Christ focus on himself? No. He focused on glorifying the the Father and dying for others. We need to follow that example. We need to be not focused on ourselves but focused on one another. How can we live in such a way that we are mutually encouraging others? We need this. And this can only happen when we engage in coming together with other believers. Now, typically, this passage is used to preach that you need to be in the worship service on Sunday morning, okay? So if you're absent on a regular basis, say you're only at church uh, once or twice a month, right? That you then are not following this commandment. But I'm going to take it further. I'm going to say, I think this means more often than just Sunday mornings, folks. That's why we have discipleship. That's why we have home fellowship groups. That's why we have a men's and women's ministry. That's why we have a youth ministry. Because we need to spend time with one another in spiritual fellowship. Amen? Amen. We need this. And Paul knew that the Romans needed this. And so did he. We all need which God, that which God supplies to us through our brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, Paul tells them that he is compelled by God to come and preach the gospel in Rome. Paul's desire was to be used by God to bear fruit, spiritual fruit in the lives of others. God had turned Paul's life around. God had opened his blinded eyes to see Jesus for who he truly was, the Son of God, the Messiah, sent into the world, the Savior who had died and rose again to pay the penalty for Paul's sins. His many sins. And God had brought Paul to his knees in repentance. God had caused him to be born again into eternal life. God had given him the gift of saving faith and called him to trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for his salvation. God had filled Paul with his own Holy Spirit and had called him to be an apostle, one sent out as a witness for Christ. God had completely transformed Paul from a hater of Christ and of Christ's followers to a slave of Christ who lived to bear fruit for Christ and to encourage his followers to do so as well. Paul's life had been transformed. And he wants to come to them and encourage them to live for Christ, to glorify Christ, to be witnesses for Christ, to suffer and even die for Christ if necessary. Which Paul will do one day. In fact, as we know, when God finally allows Paul to reach Rome, it will be as a prisoner awaiting trial. And you know what? It will not matter to Paul how he came there. He will do exactly what he intended to do. You see, Paul was compelled to live to the glory of Christ. To proclaim the glories of Christ, the excellencies of Christ. The love, the grace, the mercy, the power, and the authority of Christ. This is why he wanted to visit Rome. So that he could be used by God there as he had in so many other places. One of the chief ways that God had worked through him was in his proclaiming the gospel message. Look again at verses 14 and 15. Paul writes, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He says, I am under obligation. So that brings up the question what kind of obligation did Paul have? Well, I believe it's the same obligation that every person has if they've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, the Son of God. That is the obligation to extend that grace to others through the proclamation of the gospel. Think of it this way. It's the kind of obligation... That a person has to act in order to save someone in danger. The obligation to help someone who is drowning or trapped in a burning home or suffering a heart attack. When someone is in great danger, we are obligated to help if we can. Amen? We all know this is true, but how does it apply here? Well, let me tell you this. There is no greater danger that any person faces than the wrath of God that is due for their sins. That is the greatest danger that exists. All who die without being born again in Christ are facing eternal conscious punishment. So Paul, knowing the power of the gospel to save and to set people free, felt absolutely obligated to proclaim that gospel wherever he went. And in fact, he states that he's eager to do so. And oh, by the way, he will not simply wait to do so when he finally arrives in Rome. No. In this very letter, he will proclaim the gospel... And explain the gospel over and over again. Which is why the gospel is the theme of this letter. So in this passage, Paul has let the Roman believers know that he gives thanks to God for their faith, that he prays for them, that he desires to visit them for their mutual edification, and that he is eager to proclaim the gospel in Rome when he is finally able to do so. Now, how does any of this apply to us? Are there any lessons for us to learn and apply? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, indeed. We are called by God to follow Paul's example. Did you know that? We are called by God. To follow Paul's example. This is exactly what we read. In Paul's letter to the Philippians. Chapter 3 verse 17. Where Paul writes these words. Listen carefully. Brothers and sisters. Join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who live according to the example you have in us. Join in imitating me. Paul says, and following the example. So, back to our text. We should follow Paul's example. We should be giving thanks to God for those who are living to glorify Christ. We should be giving thanks to God. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And for his church. And not just prayers for healing. Not just prayers for financial or employment needs. Although there's nothing wrong with those prayers. But we need to be praying for their spiritual well-being. For their growth in grace and knowledge. For their making an impact in this world for Christ. We need to be praying spiritual prayers for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Third, we should be gathering together with our brothers and sisters in Christ for mutual edification by practicing the one another's of Scripture. And again, that can only be done as we establish relationships with one another. As we come to know one another. As we practice encouraging one another. And fourth, we should be proclaiming the gospel at every opportunity. And we should be eager to do so. Because we have been blessed by hearing the gospel and being changed by it. Amen? We should then want to pass that blessing on to others. We are called and commissioned by God to be His witnesses. Amen? We are to be instruments in His hands to help rescue those who are headed for eternal conscious punishment. And I pray that God will equip us, empower us, and encourage us not to live for ourselves, but to live for Christ and for His glory. That's my desire for myself and that's my desire for you. That we would not live to please ourselves, but we would live to the glory of Christ. We would live to please Him and glorify Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning to continue to look at the greeting, the introduction of this letter written by Paul to the church in Rome. Father God, it was written to them, but it is in our Bible because it was also written for us for us to hear, to read, to learn what it is that we should be doing as your beloved children, as those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, and all of that, a gift from you, Father, just as we have celebrated here today. How then shall we live? Father, may we follow Paul's example in these four areas. May we be giving thanks to you, Father God, not only for our own salvation, but for the salvation of our brothers and sisters in Christ, giving thanks to you for your church, for the impact that it's having in this world. And Father, we should be praying not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ, even those that we do not know in other places of this world where they are suffering for Christ, suffering persecution, even dying for Christ. Father God, may we lift them up in our prayers. May we lift up the missionaries that we support, the missions, organizations we support. Father God, make us people of prayer. And Lord, we know that we should be gathering together as often as possible with brothers and sisters in Christ So that we can encourage them and they can encourage us. So that together we can grow in grace and knowledge. And be equipped for the work you've given us to do. So Father God, draw us into those opportunities for fellowship. And Lord, we know that we should be proclaiming the gospel whenever we have opportunity. So God, strengthen us. Empower us. Help us to overcome our fears and simply share who Jesus is and what He has done to share the hope that we have in Christ. Help us in this, Father God, so that you might be glorified in us, in your church, in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.